give our praise. We serve a mighty God this morning. Amen. Man, it's good to see you at Sanctuary Church. And those of you watching online, it's good to see you at Sanctuary Church. We're glad that you're with us uh, today on this Sunday, uh, this Pentecost Sunday. Didn't the worship team do a fantastic job this morning? say I'm thankful for the opportunity to minister this morning in the service and I also want to say that Brother Clinton uh, preached a wonderful message in our 930 service and uh, unfortunately I don't maybe it was recorded for a podcast I don't know it was okay you'll have to go back and listen to his sermon on the podcast um, it was an excellent sermon this morning uh, about Pentecost is forever and um, there's a lot of things that don't last forever, but Pentecost does. And uh, I might tie into that a little bit here and there. I don't know. Uh, but I'm thankful for the opportunity to minister this morning here at our new home church. And I just want to briefly say, because it's the first time I've ministered with uh, people in the room since we moved here. <laughs> it's been such a weird time to move to a new church just saying, and change everything in your life. It's just, just been really strange. But I just want to say thank you to everybody that has helped make us feel welcome as much as possible during this craziness. And we look forward to becoming part of this church family. And uh, we know that takes time. You don't just jump in and become part of a church family. Uh, it takes time to develop those relationships and, and learn the culture and just different things like that. But we're excited to be here, and we're, we're looking forward to getting to know all of you. Um, today is Pentecost Sunday. And uh, I'm going to preach to you just from my heart about how my life was changed by Pentecost and uh, try to um, hopefully help somebody today. And I know that there are people in this room and watching online that maybe you've heard similar messages to what I'll preach this morning uh, or preach this morning all of your life if you've been raised in this. But there are many that do not know some of the things that I'll say today. Um, so just bear with me if this sounds uh, like something you've heard before. Um, if you listen to our Bible study on Wednesday night, Pastor basically taught all of this. So um, I don't, at the risk of being very repetitive, I'm going to minister what I feel to minister on this Pentecost Sunday. Uh, I don't want to be repetitive, but also we should never um, take lightly what we've been blessed to receive and the power of the Holy Ghost and the revelation of the Word of God. Today, there are churches all over the world that will either celebrate or at least mention that today is Pentecost Sunday. Churches of all kinds of denominations and backgrounds that will mention that today is Pentecost Sunday. Some churches that have done promotions that today is Pentecost Sunday. Perhaps churches that don't even believe in the power of the Holy Ghost and speaking in tongues that will acknowledge that today is Pentecost Sunday. So what is the big deal about Pentecost? We're going to get into that uh, this morning. I just want to mention briefly, um, back in 2016, I wrote this Bible study. I'm not, this is not self-promotion at all, I promise. Um, maybe it is, I don't know. Pentecost, Pentecost is for everyone is the name of this Bible study, and I'm the reason why I mentioned this morning is because I'm going to be pulling from it. Um, it's a Bible study that I wrote about Pentecost, and I have a stack of them over here. As you're exiting the building today, everyone that wants one can have one today uh, and share that with somebody. Um, and, and I know it'll be a blessing to them. And the reason why I share that, as I say, is I'm going to be pulling some things from that this morning. Uh, I want to open up in the book of Acts, chapter number 2. I'll read verses 1 through 4, and then I'll let you be seated, and I'll stand the rest of the time. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, says, And when the day of Pentecost, everybody say the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, 
They were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. There appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. And today I just want to speak for a little while on this title, A Day Called Pentecost. A day Called Pentecost. Can we lift our hands all over this place? Let's ask the Lord to speak to us this morning and challenge us and encourage us through his word. Lord, we love you today. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your presence in a spirit-filled environment this morning, God. I pray that you would minister to those in this building and those watching online. God, I know that you have a plan, Lord. I pray you'd give me the words to say that need to be said this morning, God, to communicate this word. Encourage us today. Speak to us, Lord. Change lives. Fill somebody with the Holy Ghost. Let somebody understand the significance of the Holy Ghost this morning. In the name of Jesus, by saying Jesus' name, you can be seated. You can be seated. I was raised Pentecostal. I've been Pentecostal my whole life, and um, I was Pentecostal before I knew what it meant to be Pentecostal. And so some of what I'll preach today is, is based upon my personal revelation when I realized I'm Pentecostal more than, uh, for more than just the reason that I was raised Pentecostal. Uh, I, at some point, about 19 years old, I had to make up my mind to study out what I believed and see if I believe it or if my parents believed it, right? To see if, if it's something that I believe personally. And so I began to study for myself things that, that maybe I'd, never, I'd heard during, at church, but I didn't listen. You know, like I was a youth pastor for six years before moving here, and I've said things many times like, um, I wish somebody would have told me this when I was a teenager. And then I finally realized they probably did tell me that when I was a teenager. And I, anybody else with me just weren't listening, right? And so even though I was raised Pentecostal and I heard things said like what I'll say this morning about Pentecost, um, I had to get a personal revelation of what it means to be Pentecostal. And some of the things I'm going to go through this morning are part of what helped me to get that personal revelation. I feel like one of the greatest uh, tools to understanding the Word of God is a timeline. And uh, I'll refer to timelines from time, from time to time. Um, but I want to Throw up a couple, a few this morning, actually. So, brother, this will be a little bit teachy, and that's fine. Y'all understand that's just kind of how I am, but I'll, we'll get there. Um, brother Drew's going to help me out here. Okay, this that you're looking on the screen, and those watching online, maybe you'll get to see it for a moment. Um, this is the New Testament right there. It's all the books of the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation. And uh, just remember this picture and kind of visualize that picture as we kind of work through some of what I'll talk about today. But when we look at this picture and when we look at the New Testament, it's easy for us to assume that all these books were written in that order right there. Um, if you're just new to the Bible, if maybe you've been in this all your life and you never thought about it, it just seems like these books were written in the order that they are laid out for us in the Scripture. But the truth is that they are not written in that order. Um, they're not listed in that order, but they are listed in the order that God wanted them to be for us. They're not listed by date in the order that they were actually written. And let me give you an example of this that blew my mind whenever I learned this. A lot of things blow my mind. Um, very small explosion. The book of James, which is towards the end here, one of those bigger books there. Um, the book of James, as far as the date written, 
is the first book that was written of all the New Testament books as far as the date that the pen was put to the paper. The events that James was writing about were not the first events that happened, but he was the first one that put pen to paper, if that makes sense. So that's why timelines are are important for us to understand here. Um, Many of these books uh, kind of run simultaneous together in that they were happening pretty much at the same times, okay? It's not like Romans happened and then Corinthians happened and then this one happened and then this one happened. They all kind of are intertwined. A lot of them are intertwined. We'll talk about that a little bit as I go on. So another example of just kind of what I'm trying to say here um, is that Jesus died in approximately 33 A.D., But Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which record the life and the ministry of Jesus, it's estimated that it was around 55 A.D. before any of those books were actually written or put together, if that makes any sense. So 22 years or so after Jesus died, these books were actually written. Now, there were notes taken during his life, but but when it was actually kind of put together, it was 22 years later. So it's just... If nothing else, there's just something to think about this morning. But for the most part, as I said, these books are listed in the order of the events that happened. Uh, So obviously, in the New Testament, Jesus' birth and his life and his ministry were the first events that happened. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are known as the Gospels, record the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. They're the Gospels, or the good news about Jesus. And that's, in the order of events, that's the first thing that we need to know when we read the New Testament, is who Jesus was, right? And about his life, and all about this man that was the Messiah that came to this earth. So that's where we start reading when we read the New Testament. And uh, Because the rest of the books of the New Testament would not make sense without the life of Jesus as a reference. Okay, these other books wouldn't make any sense. The whole Bible would not make any sense without Jesus as the reference point because the whole Bible hinges around this man named Jesus. The Old Testament was pointing toward the day that he would walk the face of the earth. We read of his life in the New Testament, and then the rest of the New Testament points back toward the time that he walked the face of the earth. And the thing that's always amazed me about that is while the whole Bible and all of eternity points toward Jesus, when we get to Jesus, he was always pointing toward something else. He wasn't all about himself. He was always pointing toward the day that the church would start. He was always pointing towards the day that he would die for our sins and that he would create a way for you and I. He was always pointing towards that day. And that conversation in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, he said that a man must be born of water and of the Spirit. And Nicodemus asked him, how can these things be? And Jesus went on to tell him that just as Moses raised up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever looks upon him, whoever believes upon him, as they looked upon that bronze serpent in the wilderness, whoever believes on him will not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. One of the most powerful scriptures in all of the Bible, but many times it's taken out of context because we have to remember that John 3.16 is in the context of the same conversation where Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, how can this be and Jesus began to point towards Calvary and say because of what I'm going to do for all of mankind it's going to create a way for everyone to be born again Nicodemus it was an explanation to Nicodemus of how to be born again and so he pointed towards Calvary and he pointed towards Pentecost 
He pointed towards Calvary and he pointed towards the day that the church would start. So the whole Bible's about Jesus, but Jesus was all about what he was going to do for us, which will last forever, as Brother Clinton preached in the 930 service. So after the Gospels that record the life and ministry of Jesus, we, we read the book of Acts. And the actual title, the actual title of the book of Acts is the book of the Acts of the Apostles. We call it the book of Acts because we're lazy, but it's the book of the Acts or the actions of, we've really shortened it, the book of the actions of the Apostles. It records the Acts of those individuals. And I, I want to tell us this morning that the book of Acts is more than a history book even though it is a history book. And if you look at a timeline of all the scripture, it is a book that records history, but it's more than history. It's a pattern. It's a template. And it literally records the start of the very first church. Pastor already mentioned today, and I'm, I'm, I'm repetitive on some of this because Wednesday night's Bible study was so good and so thorough about Pentecost. Why Pentecost? And I'm just tagging along with that this morning. Um, but it's so important that we realize today really is the birth of the church. The church started on the day of Pentecost. And there's no debating that. All sorts of denominations will celebrate today that the church started over 2,000 years ago on, or almost 2,000 years ago, I guess, on the day of Pentecost. It was around 33 AD because it was the same year that Jesus died. And we're, we're going to look at that in a, a few minutes. But the first Christian church began on the day of Pentecost, a day called Pentecost. It wasn't a denomination that started on that day. It was not an opinion that started on that day. It wasn't a few people that got together and said, hey, this is a good idea. Let's do this. That's not what started on that day. But literally, Jesus started a church on the day of Pentecost. And this may be really common knowledge for those that maybe have been raised Pentecostal, but I'll just say it as if I'm speaking to people that really don't know today. Jesus only started one church. He didn't start a variety of churches that believe a variety of different things. He only started one church. And I've been asked the question before, well, why are there so many different churches? Why are there so many different types of churches? And you go to this one and it's like this, and you go to that one and it's like this, and they're all so different. And the best answer I've ever been able to come up with is just my personality saying uh, the reason why there's so many different churches is because we don't all believe the same thing. Just, it's a little silly, but it's the truth. I, I, there's a, a joke, and I wish I could think of it. It's not in my notes. I don't normally put jokes in my notes. But there's a joke about a guy on an island, and there was nobody else there but him. Y'all probably heard that joke before, and there was like, all these huts, and they were asking, what's that hut? He's like, well, that's where I go to church. And they said, well, what's that hut over there? He said, that's where I used to go to church. Yeah. And he's the only one there on the island. So there's a lot of different churches, and mostly because we don't believe the same thing, right? I mean, that's why everybody in Jonesboro isn't under the same roof today is because we don't all believe the same thing. And we can all agree that we don't all believe the same thing. I think we can all agree to that. But there's one thing that cannot be disputed, and that is that Jesus started one church, and that church started on a day that was called Pentecost. That cannot be argued. That is well accepted by scholars and theologians across the world of all different denominations that it all started at Pentecost. 
at Pentecost. Many believe and they teach that it was the beginning of the church, but unfortunately they do not believe and teach that the events that happened that day are for us today. But as Brother Clinton preached in our 930 service, Pentecost is forever. And as my Bible study says, it's for everyone. We'll add to that a little bit. Um, Because um, while they may acknowledge that it all started at Pentecost, for whatever reason, we fail to acknowledge that it's also for us. And the words that were even spoken on that day show us that it was for us. When Peter said that the promise, this promise of the Holy Ghost was unto you, those that were there that day, their children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. The very words spoken that day tell us that Pentecost is for everyone. It's for all, of, all that are afar off. And I think you said it, no matter how far off, it's for you. And it's for me, no matter what the color of our skin is, no matter what our background is, no matter what our culture is, the Pentecostal experience is intended for every Christian believer. Every Christian believer. And it all started on the day of Pentecost. So what is Pentecost? And I'll make this very brief, but Pentecost is another name for a festival in the Old Testament that was known as the Feast of Weeks. The Greek word means 50. Everybody say 50. It refers to the 50 days since Passover. The Feast of Weeks, or Pentecost, was celebrated at the end of the grain harvest every year. And so this, this blew my mind. As I said, it's not hard to do. I'm a very simple preacher, and y'all, y'all might understand. I'm just very, I'm a simple-minded person, maybe. I don't know. But I'll just tell you that when I realized what I'm about to share with you, it really was powerful to me, and it changed my perspective of some things. So... Put up that first, the next timeline that I had, Brother Drew. It's so detailed. It shows us that every year, going all the way back to whenever the children of Israel uh, fled from Egypt, Passover, and then 50 days, and then Pentecost. Everybody got that? That's so deep. I know that's really deep this morning. Mind blown, right? So this is what blew my mind, and I want to share it with you this morning because I believe there is great power in this. The next slide. The year of Jesus' death from Passover to Pentecost. This is what got me, is that Passover is all about when they killed this lamb and they put the blood on the doorpost, right? And it was a lamb that saved that family, right? Jesus could have died at any given point during the year. He could have died at any time. But it's not a coincidence that he died during Passover. That, I never realized that until a few years ago. Y'all, maybe I didn't listen whenever I was growing up. But it blew my mind when I realized that he chose to die and literally be the lamb that took away the sin of the world. It wasn't just a family, but it was all of humanity. Jesus died during that time of year, during the Passover celebration. He literally became our lamb, the lamb slain for our sins. That's powerful to me. Literally during that time of year. And so... Um, Pastor even mentioned today that we celebrate Pentecost because it's 50 days after Easter. And we can get caught up and say things like that, Pastor, but but it hit me one time that it's not because it's 50 days after Easter, it's because it's 50 days after Passover, and Jesus died during that time of year. That's crazy, really. What a coincidence. No, it's not a coincidence at all that he died during Passover. And so the year 
the, the, the calendar was kind of the same for them that year. They had Passover, and 50 days later, they had Pentecost. But something was different this year because the Lamb of God died during Passover. And so we read where he was buried. He died, he was buried, he rose again, and then he walked with them for 40 days, teaching them of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And then he ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, um, you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. And so he's pointing toward the day that his spirit would fall and fill the church and that the church would be born. You're going to be filled with power to be witnesses. That's the church. Being filled with the Holy Ghost, it's going to empower you. And then Jesus ascended into heaven. And there's this span of time that I might focus a little bit more on as we come to a close here after a while, and that's the seven to ten days uh, between when Jesus ascended into heaven and the day of Pentecost. So Jesus had told them in Luke chapter 24, um, this is while he's walking with them during that 40 days, he said to go to Jerusalem and tarry there until you be endued with power from on high. Tarry there. And that seven to ten days that you see there is seven to ten days it is believed of prayer and seeking after God before the Holy Ghost fell on them. Seven to ten days. And I'll just say it right now before I get any further into this message. If you seek God for seven to ten days, something's going to happen. If you put everything else to the side for a concentrated amount of time like that, something's going to happen. If you walk in obedience the way that they did and go there and tarry there and wait, something you can't seek God for seven days and nothing happened. Something's going to happen, and it did. The Holy Ghost fell. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven. What they were told would happen, it happened. So this day called Pentecost became significant for Christianity because seven weeks or 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, during the Jewish celebration of Pentecost, um, the Holy Ghost was poured out upon his first followers. If you are Pentecostal today, that means that you believe and you have received the gift of the Holy Ghost with the initial sign of speaking in other tongues the same way that it happened on that day in the book of Acts. The book of Acts records the actions and the early history of that church that Jesus started. But it's not only about what they did, but it's about why they did it. Jesus commissioned them himself and what happened on the day of Pentecost when they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with other tongues was something that was ordained by God himself many people in our world will get it confused when they hear about the Pentecostal church and they'll classify us as crazy or or um, lunatic and all these things but we have to understand that when they spoke with tongues in the book of Acts it is because it was ordained by God Himself, It's not crazy, and, and I don't have to uh, describe that a lot more because there are all kinds of churches now that believe in being spirit-filled, and they're open to being spirit-filled. But I just want to make sure to mention today that we're not crazy for believing the Bible. It was not made up or somebody's opinion, but it really happened, and it's our pattern to go off of. So um, in that timeline, you don't have to throw it back up, but the first timeline um, uh, of the rest of the books of the New Testament. The next books that we read after Acts are Romans and First and Second Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Timothy, Titus and Philemon and Hebrews. And, and these are letters written by Paul that were written to churches 
or to individuals. And, and I've heard this said many times in my life, but, but I'm going to say it again today, that those, church, those letters were written to churches. They were written to churches or individuals. They were not written about how to be saved. They were written about how to live for God. And even today we read in the book of Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians, these books, we read for instruction from those books of how to live a holy life, how to live a godly life, how to live a Christian life, how to live for God, because that was the purpose of those books. It was written to people about how to live for God. But those books, those letters, sorry, I keep saying books, those letters were not written of how to be saved. How to be saved was preached in person. So if you, if you have that timeline we looked at earlier in your mind, picture this with me, um, that you could literally take Paul's letters to those churches and to those individuals, and you could insert almost every one of them into the book of Acts. You could take those letters and insert them into the events of the book of Acts. Paul's in prison, he's writing Ephesians. When was he in prison? During the events of the book of Acts. He's writing this letter. You could take these letters and you could just fit them all into the book of Acts. All of Paul's letters, because we know that he was still in prison being held uh, to be killed when Acts ended. So when did he write the letters? He didn't write it after Acts, he wrote it during Acts. Does that make sense? It's a little bit of a... Uh, just a Bible study, I guess, this morning. But this, this really jumps off the page to me to understand this because many people will say that the, the plan of salvation is found in Romans. But Paul preached the plan of salvation in Rome, and he wrote a letter to that church that he started in Rome about how to live for God, not how to be saved. So these letters could be inserted into the book of Acts. The book of Acts is where we find the plan of salvation. It's where the church started in Acts chapter 2 when Peter stood up and said that we need to repent and we need to be baptized, every one of us, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And we shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto us and to our children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. So the context of Paul's letters was this. Paul went on missionary journeys where he preached the gospel, where people were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, where churches were started, where leaders were established, and then he would continue his travels, and he'd go to another city, and he would preach the gospel, and people would be filled with the Holy Ghost. Churches would be started, and leaders would be established, and then he would go to another city, and he would preach the gospel. What was he preaching? He was preaching about Jesus. He was preaching about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and a church would be started, and people would be filled with the Holy Ghost, and then he'd go to another city, and he'd preach the gospel and people would be filled with the Holy Ghost and then he would write letters to the churches that he had already started he wasn't writing about how to be saved he was instructing them in the things that he taught them when he was with them in person he was encouraging them to hold tight to what he taught them in person and that was the Pentecostal doctrine the apostolic experience all the letters are confirming the Pentecostal experience because he is instructing them to walk in the faith that was delivered to them whenever he was with them in person. Let's look at an example or two of this. In Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, Paul wrote to the Galatians, to the church at Galatia. He said, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven 
preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. He's referring to when he was there in person. Let him be accursed. As we have said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, I'm promising you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. So he's writing to Galatia, and he's writing about what he taught them when he was there in person, and that is the importance of being filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, um, he's talking about Jesus in this letter. He said, in whom? In Jesus. You also trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom, Jesus, also after that you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And one translation says that Jesus identified you as his own when he gave you the Holy Ghost, when he gave you the Holy Spirit. And, it, and Paul is writing to this church at Galatia about what they had already received, which was the Holy Ghost. And then verse 14 said, which is the Holy Ghost, which is the earnest of our inheritance. It's the down payment of heaven until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. I'll say that one more time. The Holy Ghost is the down payment of heaven. It's, it's him giving us a little bit of a taste of what heaven's going to be like. That's why we need the Holy Ghost. We need the power of God. I want that earnest of my inheritance, that down payment of heaven. Paul is not telling them how to be saved but he's referring to things that they experienced and he's referring to things that they were taught in person. So as I'm getting ready to come to a close this morning, and I don't know how long I've been, I'm sorry. Why I'm Pentecostal? Well, it all started whenever I was born. <laughs> I was born into a Pentecostal church. But I'll tell you why I'm Pentecostal. It's because there was a time where I, I began to reach out to God, and I realized that when I sought after him, something began to happen inside of me, and it was a personal experience that began to happen. I began to speak with other tongues, not because somebody told me what to say, as you talked about Wednesday night, where they were saying, repeat after me, and all these syllables and stuff. It was because God took over my tongue as I began to seek after him. So I'm Pentecostal because personally, I've had the Pentecostal experience, and then I'm also... The, the second part of that is why I'm Pentecostal is because it's what the Bible teaches. Pentecost truly is for everyone. The church that Jesus started was a Pentecostal church. And it started on at the, a day called Pentecost is when it all began. And so today, let's stand together. The Bible illustrates to us that the church that Jesus started was a spirit-filled church. Right. I'll never forget a message that Brother Stan Gleason preached a few years ago, many years ago at the campgrounds. His title was All Roads Lead to Pentecost. And he talked about that the people there had come from all different countries, different lands. They spoke different languages, as Pastor already mentioned today. They came from all these different places, all these different cultures, and all these different backgrounds. But all roads led them to Pentecost. Pentecost changed their lives. Now, think about this. They had been to Pentecost many times before. Most everybody there that day 
they had been to Pentecost, most of them, their families. It was something that had been going on all the way since um, right after they escaped Egypt, after the parting of the Red Sea. It was 50 days after the first Passover is when Pentecost started, the Feast of Weeks. So this wasn't the first time they'd been at this event, this day called Pentecost. But something was different this time because there were 120 people that were in an upper room that had been praying and had been seeking God. And there was a change in the atmosphere that just so happened to to happen on a day called Pentecost. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. It just so happened to, to happen on a day called Pentecost. I'm thankful today to be Pentecostal. But let me say I'm not just Pentecostal because it's what what I believe. It's not just what we believe because we're a Pentecostal church. It's what the Bible teaches for every church and for every denomination and for every Christian believer. Pentecost is an experience that is intended for everyone that believes Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It is is an experience that is intended for every Christian. Every Christian. It's not just for the quote-unquote Pentecostals. It's for everyone. It's not some fairy tale that we have to con people into believing. It's not something we made up on our own. It's not something we can shake into somebody. Even though I've seen some people try. Y'all know what I'm talking about if you've been in church anytime. It's real. It's real. I know that it's real because I've experienced it myself. And I've seen the change that the Spirit of God has made in others whenever they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Can we lift our hands all over this place? The Holy Ghost is not something that you can receive on your own. We don't make it up. It's as God gives the utterance. It's when we begin to seek Him as they did for seven to 10 days. As we begin to seek Him in this place right now, maybe some of us haven't spoken in tongues in a long time, but as we begin to seek God right now, understanding that it's intended for everybody, that it's His will, that it was ordained of Him, that it be poured out on the day of Pentecost, Lord, right now as we seek you, I pray that your power would fill this place. Every home, Lord, that's represented in this place and online this morning, that your spirit will begin to move right now, God. Let the Pentecostal experience flow, Lord. Let the Holy Ghost flow in this place, God. We need your spirit. We need the Holy Ghost. Come on, let's just cry out to the Lord in this place. Holy Ghost.